Alright, it's good to see everybody this morning. That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> Watch Matt run around and look for his coffee. <laughs> we're in uh we're in Romans chapter six, uh continuing our, our journey through the book of Romans. Uh so if you want to go ahead and, and turn there and we'll get started here. Uh in just a moment when Michael Ray's done with his conversation, we'll wait on that and then we'll <laughs> Yes, yeah, sir. Go ahead. You know, we're we're on your your time, brother. Uh, now it's good to see everybody, and this is one of those uh, uh, chapters that uh, it links perfectly. Chapters five and seven, which is good because it's number six, so uh, worked out just right. But I think uh, though it, it's a little bit of a long chapter to to read, we'll we'll go ahead and read most of it, if not all of it. Uh, and then come back and make our comments. Or I'll tell you what, on second thought, we'll, we'll do the first uh, 14 verses, and then we'll finish up with the, uh, the last section kind of a little more independently. Um, so if you're in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his." We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, for death for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So one thing that we see right off the bat is Paul uh, offers up a rhetorical question. And the question is, what shall we say then? Uh, are we to continue in sin that grace may, ab may, may abound? Uh, who remembers a few weeks ago, Brother Gary taught a lesson uh, or a sermon, and on the screen he put up before he ever started teaching, uh, is it okay to fight? Y'all remember that? Yes. I saw that, and my immediate reaction was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's, it's not even a question. So we can just move on from that. And... Of course, Brother Gary gave a great message and a lot more to say about that and instruction that we needed. But when I read this question, uh, the answer is just that simple. Uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. 
The, the answer is obvious. Paul is, Paul is asking a very obvious, very rhetorical question. But it's important for us to look backwards into the context and see why Paul even uh, offers up the question. And of course, uh, the context is in the previous chapter uh, where he's talking about the problem of sin from the time of Adam, uh, the, the life in, in Christ that was necessary. And so he's, he's I, I guess, tacking on a conclusion to the, the legal and logical arguments that he made in chapter 5. But I want us to look into this and, and kind of pump the brakes a little bit. I thought I would go into this outline and that we would take time to talk about the real struggle that believers have with sin because I don't want to ignore that. But the more that I built the outline and the, the more that the Lord dealt with me over the outline and, and kept adding other things that I, I had not originally thought would be included, I think it's best that we hold that portion off till next week when we get into chapter 7. And so if you come back next week, and I hope that you do, we're going to talk a little bit more about this real struggle that believers have with sin. Because when we read chapter 6, Paul makes these very obvious statements that uh, should the believer just continue in sin so that, you know, if there's more sin, then there's more grace, right? And, and absolutely not. That's not the plan. That's not what should be happening. At the same time, if you're an honest believer, if you're a believer, first of all, and if you're an honest believer, and Paul just makes it sound like that we don't ever have to sin again, and it's no problem whatsoever, and that's just not the truth, is it? And that's not what Paul's saying, but it can be read that way. And thank goodness he follows up with chapter 7, where he talks about his own struggle with sin. And so... Before we get too comfortable, I want you to understand that's where we're headed next week. We're going to talk about this struggle with sin and why it's such a struggle. But this week, we're going to focus more on this, this argument of um, not sinning more, just that grace may abound. He mentioned that some in chapter 5, but he really follows up on in chapter 6. And it begs the question, why is Paul writing this to the church at Rome? Did they have a struggle with this that we're not aware of? Is, uh, I don't know what was going on there. Uh, is, is it just part of the narrative as, as he's writing things that, that just needed to be included, kind of housekeeping items? We don't really know. Uh, but it's certainly helpful us, to us in this day and age. So uh, the first thing he, he says, should we sin, verses 1 and 2, uh, what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? And uh, it's, uh, again, a rhetorical question. Should we just keep sinning to magnify God's grace? The obvious answer is no, but we should consider the context. We've talked about that. But I also want you to understand the verb tense, this phrase, continue in sin. So in the Greek language that this was written in, that's referred to as Koine Greek. It's an old, kind of an ancient uh, Greek language. This phrase, when you look at it, is in a present active verb. It's a present active verb, meaning that it's written to indicate that this is, uh, when he talks about continuing sin, it's like just a living in sin, just a, a dwelling in sin, getting comfortable in the sin, engrossing oneself intentionally in the sin. So Paul is not by any means making an argument uh, that the believer will never ever slip or, or sin or fall into sin uh, and I think even 
and, and this is such a fine line to carry here, that we all know that there are, there are some who I firmly believe are believers in Christ who fall into habitual sin. Uh, and the Bible even talks about that in places. Not to excuse it, but to talk about God's response to it. So those things can happen, but this verb tense, what, it, what he's referring to is one uh, who just accepts the sin with no problem and just, just wants to dwell more and more in it. And he's talking about a believer because he's not referring to anyone in particular, but he's saying, should anyone as a believer, since they have grace... In other words, they've got grace in their back pocket. They've got eternal security. They know it. Should, shouldn't they just enjoy sin in the meantime? And the, the answer is an obviously and resounding no. And then he begins to talk about uh, the, the, the baptism of Christ and how it mirrors uh, the believer's baptism will mirror the baptism of Christ. So let's look again at verses 3 through 10 as he begins to build on this, this argument of why we should not just enjoy sin. Now, before we do that, though, if you're a believer, and I don't, nobody raise your hand. I don't, again, remember our deal. If you don't read my diary, I won't read yours, okay? But anyone who is a true believer in Christ, someone who has been saved, who has a relationship with Christ, has the Holy Spirit indwelling within in them. When, when we fall into sin or when we sin, isn't there an unpleasantness that automatically follows? Even going into the sin or, or in the midst of the sin, we, there is, the, the Bible says there, there's, there's, sin is fun for a season. And that there's some truth to that. There's our, our mortal bodies. This chapter talks about that. There's a desire there. There's, there's an enjoyment. But... When the Holy Spirit brings that to our heart and to our mind, and there's a severing of the relationship, the, the closeness, there, there's a sadness, there, there's a, a longing to be reunited. There's something within us as believers that tells us that things are just not right, that that sin is, it no longer holds enjoyment and joy, and, and, and we know this. Which is another reason why Paul says, and part of the reason for that is the, the, the baptism in Christ that we have. So when the scripture here talks about the baptism in Christ, it's not referring directly to the water baptism. So you know as a believer, the first act of obedience once you are saved is what? We call it believer's baptism. You go up in front in, in our age in America, you go up in front of a church and there's usually a tub uh, and they fill it with water and you make a profession of faith and you get dunked in. That's a symbolic water baptism. It's, how, it's what we should do. But this is not specifically what the verses are referring to. It's talking about the baptism in Christ. So it says, just as Christ died a physical death, our old nature died a literal spiritual death. And I threw that word literal in there, literal in there, and, I, and I, I repeat it in this part of the outline because I feel like this is a real struggle for us. We, either we don't realize it or we don't remember it. That just because things are spiritual 
doesn't mean that they're any less literal. Let me restate that. Just because things are spiritual does not mean they are any less literal. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if I steal Matt's coffee, which I did, and it was warm in the cup, it was just perfect, it was just right, Matt no longer had his coffee, literal. He, he was looking around for his coffee, wasn't he? He's, Where's it? what did I do with my coffee? Where's my coffee? He literally didn't have any more because I did. That, that's, that's truth. That's something we can see. It's tangible. We have the cup. We have the drink. Everything's in there. I took it. I'm drinking. I'm enjoying it. It's literal. It's physical, and we can see that. Too often, when things are spiritual, they are just as real or even more so. But because we live in this physical realm, we don't recognize how literal it is. And Paul is saying here, he is stating in these verses, this baptism in Christ is a literal baptism. Regardless of whether you can physically see it or put hands on it, touch it, smell any of that, but yet it is just as real as anything physical. And, and I, I want you to really Soak that in this morning. I want you to, to recognize that. Dwell on that. I want you to think about that point all week long. If you are a believer, if, if you are a believer, your baptism in Christ, though it is spiritual, not the physical water baptism, but the spiritual baptism in Christ is just as literal as anything you touch see, smell, speak to anything that you have contact with this week. It's that literal. And that's what Paul is arguing here is what he's saying. And because of this, because of this baptism in Christ, the, the, the actions and the responses of that baptism are just as real. Look at verse 4 with me again. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, or we also, might walk in newness of life. So, I'm going to ask you some obvious answer, or questions I want you to answer. Do you believe that Christ physically, literally, died on the cross? Yes. Absolutely, yes. Do you, do you believe that Christ physically, literally was buried in a tomb? Yes. 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 Do you believe that Christ physically and literally rose from the dead? Yes. Do you believe that Christ physically and literally ascended into heaven to the throne room? Yes. Paul is saying, verse 4, we too, our spiritual baptism is just as literal as that. And because of that, our response should be just as literal. So just as Christ died, we died. Our, our old nature at the time of salvation dies to sin. Literally. All right? And just, uh, just as Christ resurrected, we are resurrected spiritually 
to walk in a newness of life. It's not just a metaphor. It's not just something that's going to happen way out in the future, but it's something that happens at the time of salvation. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment here. Therefore, the believer is dead to sin and alive with Christ. Look at verses 9 through 11. Let's look at those quickly. Verses 9 through 11. In fact, we'll read 8 through 11. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Paul is speaking in real terms about Christ. And he doesn't follow up and say similarly or, or kind of like or spiritually. No, he goes right into it in verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now Micah and Noah are going to bring some sheets around. And we're going to talk about the three tenses of salvation. We're going to pause for just a moment in our outline. And we're going to go over these three tenses of salvation. And I've talked about these before, but I wanted to write them down for you. And I want to give you some scripture reference within these, these notes. I'd, I'd encourage you to fold these up, put them somewhere, hang on to them. And one of the things we, we should realize in our Bible study, the scriptures often use the word salvation in all three of these different tenses at different places, in different contexts in Scripture. And so it's important to, to understand which tense of salvation the Scriptures are referring to. Sometimes verses will, you know, you, you'll say, okay, that could be applied to either one of these two, but it'll always be applied to at least one of these tenses of salvation. And so in the three tenses of salvation, we have the past tense of salvation, the present tense of salvation, and the future tense of salvation. Alright? So first let's talk about the past tense. And considering the past tense of salvation. We are saved from sin's penalty. Now we often talk about this and refer to it as justification in the scripture. Uh, the, the, the English Bible we use the word justified, justification, salvation. There's, there's different ways that it will be termed. But what's being talked about is what happens at the time of salvation. And so understand for the believer, at the time of salvation, one's sins are forgiven. And we're not just talking about, according to Scripture, the sins that you've already committed at the time of salvation, but the sins going forward. Christ bears the penalty for all sins. And of course, the illustration is given at the time that Christ paid for your sins, how many, time, how many of those were in the future? All of them, right? Yeah, that was 2,000 years ago, right. All of them, see? And so this, this past tense of salvation is where we are saved from sin's penalty. And we can see that, and we can find that in Romans 1.16, Romans 10.10, 10, 2 Timothy 1.9, and an abundance of other scripture. We could, we could list scripture all day long here. I just tried to put a few of the key ones. Let's, 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 go to, let's skip to number three and come back to number two. Because what we're really dealing with here is, the, is, is uh, number two. All right. So number three, in considering the future tense of salvation, we will be saved from sin's presence. 
So in the past, we're, we're saved from its penalty. In the future, we're going to be saved from sin's presence. And we refer to this as glorification. When we reach heaven and we're in the part of the new kingdom, we're no longer going to live even in the presence, presence of sin. How many of you have loved ones that you believed were saved that are already in heaven? Anybody? Me too. Yeah, me too. Uh, you, you ever pause and think that they no longer are tempted by your sin? By any sin? They don't have to deal with that anymore? How many of y'all get sick of dealing with sin's temptation? I do. Every day. Every day. No holier than thou up here. I promise you. I, I'm sick of it. It's hard. It's tiring. We're going to talk about that next week. Paul was sick of it. Paul, was, he jumped right in here with us on that. You know, We all think the Apostle Paul. And we should. Paul looked at himself and said, Oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> I want to do what I shouldn't do. I like it. <laughs> that was Southern Paul. <laughs> From the south of Rome, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But when we reach heaven in the new kingdom, we're no longer going to have to live in the presence of sin. Everybody turn to Revelation chapter 20. I don't know if we got time for this. We're going to do it just because it's fun. Who causes all this problem with sin? Oh, I was going to say Matt, but no, it's probably... No, you're right. It's Satan. You're 110% right. Everybody get to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to be saved from the presence of sin one day. Then I saw the angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. Then I saw the thrones and seat on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God in Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now pay attention. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over a broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen, Amen is right. No more Satan. No more sin. It's just a relief to read that. We're not even there yet. See, and we can argue about Gog and Magog and, and where this is going to be and all this, and, and, and that's fun and, and that's fine and study these things, but you know what I read? 
at the end of it all, Satan's done for. We win by the power of the Lamb. That's what it's talking about. The future tense of salvation. We're going to be saved even from the presence of sin. Are we there yet? No. no. We're, we're living in the midst of it. We're saved from the penalty. We're, we got that part. If you're a believer in Christ, it's paid for. In the future, we're not even going to deal with the presence of it, but for right now, we're in the present tense of salvation, and we are being saved from sin's power. And this is what Paul's dealing with. This is what he's talking about. We often refer to this as sanctification. As we grow in Christ, we have the resources to overcome sin's power. You can find that in Hebrews 7, verse 25, and Philippians 2, verse 12. But here's the thing that we... And, and this is so difficult to teach. Because, did anybody have a sinless week? <laughs> no? Okay, me neither. Last week? No? Maybe next week. We'll try again. It, it was just, it's a new day. We're in church, so we got a good start. Here's, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. We are saved from sin's power. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And if we follow the Holy Spirit of God, we can avoid sin, but it is always, always, always a choice. It's a determination. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a practice. And this is what we're going to focus on next week. We're going to talk about how do we do that. And I, and I, wish, I, could, I, I wish I could tell you that you come back next week and I'm going to give you the A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, and you're going to apply it from now on and there's going to be no more problem. But that's not the case. If I told you that, it'd be a lie. And I'd already messed up this week already. But there is a constant struggle. There is an opportunity. We find that in verse 12 through 14 of this same passage. Look at those two verses with me, or those, those three verses. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of our unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Man, when you read those, you think, I'm just a total failure. <laughs> Paul just gave me the formula and I'm not doing it. And I'm so thankful that he wrote chapter 7 because the same guy that wrote that it's the same guy that writes seven that says, well, I keep falling on my face time and time again. I don't want to. But there is a formula. There, there is hope, believer. There is sanctification as we apply it. And thank goodness for the love and tender mercy of God who keeps being patient with us as we keep trying. It's a struggle. It's an ongoing battle. It's a present tense of salvation. It's not something that's already accomplished. It's not something that's going to be in the future. But it's an ongoing struggle. See? And so he, he talks about in verse 12, let not. Do you see that? Let not sin, therefore reign. That let not speaks of a privilege. We as believers have this opportunity. Who is Paul writing to? Who does he write Romans to? Who's the book of Romans written to? The church at Rome. So the church at Rome, are they believers or unbelievers? Believers. believers. This verse does not apply to the unbeliever. They don't have the, the choice. 
They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have access to that. They may want it. They may desire. But they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Believer, you do. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you practice it or not, whether you need to work on that or not, learn more about it, how to access it, how to apply you have it. You have the power of Holy Spirit God within you. Let not. It's a privilege. You have that choice. He also speaks of uh, let not it rain in your mortal body. To rain speaks of power. He says you don't have to give sin this power. You, you, now, can you give sin power in your life, believer? Yes. You better believe. And, and every time that we sin, I, I keep saying you, I'll try to say we, and, and be inclusive here. When we give our end to sin, and especially a, 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 a habitual sin, we are giving more power to allow that sin more control over us. We're, we're letting it reign, rule and reign us, uh, uh, to draw us. We don't have to, but we do. And when we do, understand this. Remember we talked last week. Sin's not just a list of do's and don'ts and shoulds and should nots. It is a power in this world. It is a source of power. See? And when we give in to it, we allow it to reign over us. I don't mean completely. I don't mean control our future. I don't mean it doesn't remove any part of, uh, of our future tense of salvation or our past tense of salvation, but this control of our mortal bodies. He refers to the mortal body in this sense. See? He's talking about in this present world, in this, in, in this, uh, this sense with, with our mortal bodies. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. This present body. That's what he's talking about. And he says, do not, verse 13, do not present, and verse 13, that speaks of a practice. In other words, don't keep presenting yourself to sin. Now, how do we present ourselves to sin? Make allowances. What did somebody else over here say? Put ourselves in situations. But, but you're right, both of you. So, if, if I'm uh, somebody named Sin, uh, alcoholism, gluttony. you're too slow. Gluttony, no, pick a different one. <laughs> Lust. Lust. If I'm, if I'm struggling with, with, with lust, that, and I'll pick a different one because it's everywhere. Okay, no lust. Okay, if I'm struggling with lust, and that's a constant problem for me, I need to do some. I need to make some practical changes in my life, don't I? I need to put some controls there, don't I? Don't I, go out of your house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's everywhere, right? It, don't show on TV. I, I might. I might need to get rid of this. Depending on you know how bad it is, or um, maybe I need to put controls on it and leave it in the other room and only pick it up when scam likely. My best friend calls me. He calls me five or six times a day. I like a scam likely. He's good people. Checks up on me all the time. Or, or, or if it's alcoholism, if I'm struggling with alcoholism, and uh, between 
where I work and where I live, my favorite watering hole is on the route. I probably need to drive a different way home. See, some of these things are so simple, but you know what's got to happen? There's got to be something in here's got to change. And again, we're talking about believers. We're not talking about unbelievers. As a believer, I gotta, I gotta stand up. I talked to David McNabb about this for about thirty minutes yesterday, trying to get some insight from him too, because he deals with this all the time. He's in charge of Adult Teen Challenge. He deals with people struggling with addiction, believer and unbeliever. And, and the, the probably the smart, and we'll talk about him some more next week. But it, the, the, he said somebody's got to reach a point where they are sick of it, and they say no. And that's got to be the difference. you got to get to that point where you hate the sin more than the pleasure. And that's hard. Because some sin don't seem all that bad. If we're honest. If we're honest. Some of my sin's okay. Yours is pretty bad. Yours is pretty bad. I mean, you got some problems. But my sin's not that bad. It's just a little white sin. <laughs> and and we'll, we'll make deals in our minds like that, won't we? We won't say it that bluntly, but we'll, we'll kind of excuse some things and move, move some things around where I feel I look pretty good. you gotta, you got to get to this point where you say, I'm sick of this, and I'm not going to allow sin to reign in this mortal body. I'm going to fight the fight of sin and temptation. And that's what Paul's talking about. This is the present tense of salvation. It is possible, believer. It is possible. Now, if you find this to be impossible, you need to come see me. We need to talk about your salvation. See? If sin doesn't bother you, you need to come see me. And we need to make sure that you're a believer. That you, that you have come to the place that that first time when you were sick of your sin, that you were hopeless and that you were terrified of the penalty, the wrath of God. And you fell on your knees and confessed yourself a sinner openly to Him and asked for His forgiveness. And if you can't remember that time, well, that may be the problem with your struggle. Yes. And you got to get to the point where you're willing to do that. Yes. And that's why I was talking to David for over 30 minutes. In fact, would have kept talking to him, but one of my captains called and needed bailing out of a situation. I had to hang up on him. So, uh, But you're, you're right. It, but you've got to get to the point where you're willing to, to, again, put that practical step in place. So sometimes the practical step is... All right, I'm going to lay this in the other room. And sometimes it's, Matt, I need to meet with you three times a week, and you need to check up on me. You need to ask me these questions every single day. And pray for me, and when I fall, pick me up. Sometimes it's that. But you've got to get to the point where it's important enough to ask that brother to do that. 
intimacy that it takes to do that. And it's why we got to forgive one another. It has to be a relationship. And not shoot our wounded. Because if I'm honest, or if Matt's honest, when I come to him and say, Matt, you got to help me, brother, he's going to say, you know what, you got to help me too. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chris, I just want to share something. Go ahead. A friend of mine put this up on Facebook. And it, it, it's about what we're talking about. The other day I was hanging out with a friend. This friend is a Christian, but she doesn't always act, speak, or think like me. Some days... She is completely in line with God's word, and some days her life is a struggle that gets the best of her. As our eyes meet, I really wanted to say something about it, but I decided to let the Lord speak to her heart, knowing nothing that I say will have the same impact as the Father's word. So I prayed with her, and after some time, had passed, I winked at her and walked away from the mirror. Mm -hmm. oh. uh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I try every day and I fail every day. I am so not perfect. I am a work in progress and I am thankful for God's grace and his promises to his believers. Absolutely. And, that, and it's true of all of us. But Let's consider, too, there, there's a degree of that. There, there is that. that con you know what? The more sanctified we get, the more sick of our sin we're going to get. But at the same time, that, that one who feels so defeated into the habitual sin that it's day after day after day after day, oh, they've got to get to that point where they, they get sick of that enough to find the help. Now, that's, keep all that in mind. Come back next week and let's talk about how we deal with that. What do we do with that? And and it's and, and again, somebody comes to you and, and brings that, don't you dare point a finger at them and not put your arm around them and tell them you love them and, and bear one another's burden. Don't you dare be that arrogant. Because but for the grace of God, there go we all. Right? Amen? Love one another. Forgive one another. Cherish one another. And then get together and read Revelation 20 out loud so the devil can hear it. Have some fun with that in the midst of it. Because he's the source of all this. You know what? I almost used some fire department language there. <laughs> Sorry. That's how I feel about it. We forgive you. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I, we got to finish. We got to hurry, hurry, hurry. Last part so we can finish the chapter. Verses 15 through 23. Paul talks about being going from slaves to sin to slaves of righteousness. And he used the same term here slavery into sin or slavery into righteousness. For sake of time, I'm not going to read it. You read it when you get home. But he talks about how we were slaves unto sin, meaning without a choice. Before you're saved, you have no choice. There is a power in this earth called sin. It controls you. You do not have the Holy Spirit upon you. And it, there's, a, there, there's a power. Now, I do understand that God restrains the, the Satan to a degree. He allows so much and so forth. But you don't have the, the Holy Spirit within you 
to to activate that power if that's the right way to say it you don't have that that weapon within you to fight that good fight <coughs> so uh, on the other hand it says when we're slaves to sin we're not subject to righteousness you make of that what you will to me it sounds like he he said okay you don't have the requirements that a believer does to live up to a righteous standard because you're not even saved. That, that's not upon you. In, in much the same way when he goes into his legal argument in, in chapter 5, is once, you're, once the, the, the wife, once the husband is dead, she's no longer bound to him. The, the law releases her. All right, so as a slave to sin, you're not bound to the, to the Savior, to righteousness. Then he talks about we become slaves unto righteousness and then we therefore have a choice to overcome that sin. And he says the slave, he finishes up uh, verse 23, I believe. Come in. <laughs> verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we become slaves unto God. I'll close with, I'll end with this. The Bible uses the word slaves. In America, in 2023 America, when we hear the word slavery or slaves, what does your, your mind automatically go to? Probably that period in American history, pre-Civil War, uh, antebellum, slavery, and we make that application. And while there's some benefit to that, there, there's, there, you, that's not where Paul's headed. That's not where he's talking about, obviously. And when he's making this application here, and there were different ways to become a slave back then. Sometimes you would volunteer yourself, sell yourself into slavery. And so he, he makes this, these contrasts here. You were already a slave to sin without choice, and then you chose to become slaves of God. And when you did that, whereas before you had no fruit other than death, you gained all this good fruit when you became slaves of God. And so when you read it, read it in that context and understand that. That's all the time I have to devote to that. But just, just, I just always want to throw that caution flag up there because of the, the, the sin of slavery in American history and all that we hear about it, our minds tend to go there when we hear the word. So it's not the same application. Does that make sense? Yeah. Go ahead. Chris, I know you try to wrap up on me. It's interesting to me, it's a little different from what you said about slavery. If you look at verse 20, I think you tie that right back into Romans chapter 1, where it talks about God gave them over to the depravity of their minds. That's good. I mean, God, yes. if people are going to just live in their sin, God's going to give the unbeliever over to their sin. Yes. That's that's very. I didn't make that connection, but you're 100 percent correct. That's that's a great connection to make. Anybody else? All right. I love you. Get out of here. Try to make it back next week. We're going to talk about Romans chapter seven.